Welcome back to another episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Arjit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're going to break down some U.S. Open tennis for you guys today. We're very excited. Middle uh, middle of the tournament, just the uh, first week just ended, heading on to the second week. We've got some names that we're surprised are not here anymore, some that we're happy to see are here, but... Overall thoughts, week one of the final slam of the year. Arjun, I'll throw it over to you. Well, one week down, one to go, right? I, for one, am generally pleased with how the first week went. I thought the quality of tennis was actually quite high. I mean, sure, there may be a few surprises, but isn't that what the major's all about, right? Is getting those five set wins early on in in the first week and finding your way into the second week where, you know, maybe there's a chance for the upset, but odds are we'll probably see many of the same faces that we often see at the end of these tournaments. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for the second week should be a great one. Yeah. So uh, where do you want to start? WTA, ATP? Where should we go first? Well, we, we traditionally go with WTA first. Why don't we start with ATP to this time? I'm mixing All right, let's start with the ATP it. then. All right. Um, no surprises in terms of Alcaraz, Djokovic still hanging in there. Yannick Sinner still in here. Uh, Medvedev finished, I believe, pretty late last night. Yeah. Um, Medvedev, Medvedev against New York crowds. If there's one thing I look forward to every year, it's that at the U.S. Open. I think what's been a really pleasant surprise is... The amount of Americans still sticking around. Uh, still got four out of 16 um, in Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, Taylor Fritz. I mean, okay, so let's start with who do you think goes the farthest of those four names? They're all in the same half of the draw, which is kind of frustrating, but who who takes that extra step? Well, interestingly enough, I don't think it's the person who's playing the best because I, I honestly think Taylor is playing the best. But at the same time, he has Novak as his projected quarterfinal opponent. But I, I will say Taylor's draw has been, let's be real, it's been a cakewalk and it's something that he should be getting through. And he faces Dom Stricker today for the chance of getting into the quarterfinal. He would take that any day. And if he, he, he should be winning that match. Oh, fully so agreed. That, that's just one thing. But I, to answer your question, I'm going to go with Tiafo. Okay, I'm I, yeah. I'm not opposed to that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go out there, and I think you can kind of guess what I'm gonna say because I've been riding high on this individual all season long, and I will continue to ri- ride the Ben Shelton train. Um, the only unseated American left. I think this could be the moment. I think he makes. I think he could potentially be the semifinalist. Um, he's playing that, really well. To, yeah, to he has it. to get through listen, Tommy listen. Paul. And potentially Francis as well. Yeah. And in case you didn't know, Francis Tiafo is a top 10 player, and Tommy Paul's live ranking is like 11. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still going to go on that limb. Um, okay. No, I have been really impressed by Ben all week. Um, we know this is something that he thrives under. Um, I actually saw him come under a bit of fire on social media for being like super loud and like celebrating every point. I'm like, but that's just te- but that's just college tennis. That's just college tennis. That's the atmosphere he goes up around and I think he feeds off of the crowd's energy really well. Um something yeah. that we've talked about before with college players uh transitioning over 
to the Pro Tour and especially the, you know, the U.S. Open, which the New York crowd is notoriously very energetic um, yeah. and very well, loud. Ben, ben, in the, ben in those New York crowds is just a match made in heaven. Let's be real. It's, it's very similar to what we see with Francis in that U.S. Open crowd. Like Tiafo in that environment, just he just revels in the idea of putting on a show and everyone chanting his name. And Ben is the exact same way where he, he Ben can light up a crowd like very few can in this current generation of players or just on tour. It, ben and Francis are two of the best, and it just so helps that they are also American players. So it just that magnifies it even more. And just with their game style, the way they play the way they like to celebrate, get the crowd involved. Some say that Ben is loud. You say that's just college tennis. I say that's just Ben. Ben is a very loud individual. College tennis is also very loud, so it felt like a match made in heaven for him. But But since we're on this bottom half of the draw, let's stay here for a second. A lot of, I mean, every matchup has at least one unseated player, which has been, I would say, a pleasant surprise. Um... Especially, I mean, it could have been more with Novak down two sets to love um, just yesterday against Lazo Gieri, who's who had a phenomenal tournament. Um, yeah. But yeah, I will say, I'll go out there and I'll ask, which of these four unseated players do you expect the most out of? Well, let's see. We Well, do you mean most out of in this tournament or most out of in long this tournament? Term? In this tournament, who's going to put up the biggest fight or who's going to take down another seed and move forward? Okay. Well, just because I like to hear myself talk, I'm going to answer both questions. So (laughs) within this tournament, I would have to say just given – I mean, I don't know if any of them will actually be able to cause an upset. Really? I I mean, I I just think that Ben being unseated is a little bit – you know. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if I count Ben as an unseated. He was literally seated at the last leg. He just hasn't had the results to back those up. But I mean, obviously now he has. But yeah, I obviously I expect. I expect let's say outside. Of, let's say outside of Ben. Let's say outside of Ben. Yeah, who do okay. you think of those three does the most damage? You've got Rinky Hajatka, who plays uh, Francis Tiafo. You have Dom Stricker, who plays um, Taylor Fritz, and then you have Borna Goho, who plays Novak. Well, Borna Goyo, former, I think, Wake Forest NCAA finalist, All-American, elite college tennis player. But Rinki Hijikata, again, UNC star. I mean, the number of college tennis players and U.S. players, this is this is an event that is made for cracked rackets. But I would have to go with Dom Stricker just from the artillery and the weaponry. Uh, but I really do think Rinky could as well do some big damage. Sorry, Borna, I'm not choosing you against Novak. I just, I don't think I don't think a, any, I don't think anyone's going to pick anyone over Novak, honestly, at this point. Yeah. So uh, Rinky or Dom Stricker would have to be the pick. There, there's, a, there's, there's a slight vulnerability that Tia, that Fritz has in some of these majors where he sometimes plays down to the level of his opponent. But the thing is, I think Dom Stricker can really bring it and can play at a really high level. We, we see it when he beats Cincy Boss in five sets. But I just think with Stricker, when you have that kind of weaponry from the baseline, you have 
that athleticism and ability to move in and out of corners as fluid as he does, I would have to say Stricker. Yeah. I mean, I was going to go either there to Ranky. I think, I think honestly, with where we're at, when I look at the form with Taylor, look at the form with Francis, I agree with you that Taylor does have that tendency to play down. But I just, I, I really like Ranky for, Ranky for this one. Um, I think Taylor's playing slightly stronger than Francis right now. Um, and I think, of all people, Ranky might, would be able to exploit that weakness and find something to dig at you know i just i think this is a really interesting half of the draw and i'm excited to see who comes out of it with that said we also have the upper half of the draw already set um alcaraz versus arnaldi zvera versus sinner medvedev versus demonor draper versus rublev thoughts i mean jack draper pleasantly surprised me um was not thrilled when he beat hubi but he really proved himself like to beat Hubi on a hard court in three sets in straights is not easy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I was very impressed with how Draper was playing, given the fact that we haven't seen him healthy for this long of a period, basically all year. It seems I'm I, the matchup that I'm most excited for, obviously is very center. I just think that's the highest quality one. I think, that head-to-head is always very close. There's a lot of tight sets that they've played. Um, you know, the funny thing is, you know in all of those ATP videos where Andre Rublev, they always ask, you know, who's going to have a breakout season or who's going to win a title? Every single time, Andre Rublev seems to say Jack Draper, and it feels kind of poetic that the round of 16 match that he faces to get to the quarter is Jack Draper. So... I, I think we could honestly it's conceivable that there are three upsets I'm sorry Mateo Arnaldi I'm not picking you to beat Carlos Alcaraz very similar to how I'm not picking Borna Goya to beat Novak Djokovic it's conceivable that there are three upsets with Draper winning Demonar beating Medvedev because we know how he struggles with that matchup from time to time and then Zverev beating Sinner is still a very legitimate possibility I don't think we see that many, but it's certainly a possibility. No, definitely agreed. The one that I was going to point out that I'm excited for is Demonor versus Medvedev. Um, it feels like it's been a little bit since we've seen Alex Demonor play this well. I think I'm not, like well, I, I'm going to push back. Well, on in terms, that a well, bit. well, been a while in terms of like it, like when we saw it in the grass season because he played well in the grass season, and then now in this but you know, I, last but hardcore I think swing. he played really well in this hardcore swing he reached the semifinals of no I mean like been Russia. a while in terms of like I feel like it we didn't see it uh, during the clay court swing which we usually don't but that's fine yeah. we didn't see it during the Aussie swing as heavily as I expected it to like it's in, in that terms of like he's currently on this run the second half of the year has been such a good run for him Fair that like that. keeping that momentum and keeping his consistency has been Really impressive to watch, and I agree. I think this could be a matchup that Medvedev struggles with. Um, so I'm just curious to see how it goes, and yeah. I'm very excited to see that go down. Yeah, and that does feel like a bit of a mashup issue for Medvedev because of the fact that Demonor can physically and mentally withstand what Medvedev brings to that head-to-head in terms of the patience and, and the reliability of his ground strokes. 
But also, Demon Lord does a really good job of mixing things up against Medvedev and coming in with these short slices, does a really good job at net. Just He just manages to make Daniil uncomfortable. It just feels like what Daniil has been going through for the past two years with someone like Roberto Bautista Agut or Pablo Carreño Busta, it just feels like that but magnified because of Demon Lord's speed and the fact that he's just much younger. So odds are we'll probably see this matchup be a bit bothersome for Medvedev throughout. I'm still picking him to get through that matchup, though, especially in New York, because we know how he plays here in best of five at the U.S. Open. He is a this is his best event by far. But I I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a very extended match. No, for sure. Um, so let's just kind of go over what we enjoyed from this past week on the men's side, and then we'll switch on over to the women's. Um, I was lucky enough to be on the grounds for day one, even though I'm already back at college. Um, I've I've got to hand it to Lerner. I've really got to hand it to Lerner. Like, when I was sitting there with my coach, I was we were so impressed with the way that he's able to hang with a top 10 player at just 17 years old. And, like, I already knew that he did this last year against Hekmanovic, took a set off of him, at 16, which, again, is very impressive. Um, man, I'm just trying to, like, not repeat what you said because, like, I know what you know about Lerner and, like, God, that kid has such a solid game. He's so good. And his backhand is money. Oh, my God. His backhand yeah. is money. Like, he's not missing that. And it was it was really fun to watch the two of them go backhand to backhand because they both have such solid backhands. Like, they rarely make mistakes on that shot. And it was so entertaining to watch. That second set was so much fun. The 7-5 for Francis was so much fun to watch. Um, I just think at the end of the day, I mean, first of all, what surprised me was Francis went through, like, five rackets in two sets. Um, so that was interesting to watch because he was. it, it felt like he was, like, testing different tensions and seeing what works. Um, but no, super impressed by Lerner. Um, what else did I see? I mean, Roman Safiulin, holy crap. Um, just dismantled Kekinato. Um, took the first two sets up on Tommy Paul, um, but eventually lost. Obviously, we just talked about him being in the round of four, the fourth round. Um, but such a solid player, and, like, it's so impressive because you get to watch it up in close, up close and in person. Um... Very solid ground strokes, very aggressive from the baseline. Lacks variety, in my opinion. I think he lacks a net game if he wants to break through. I think he's got a great ground stroke game, but if you pull him up to net, he lacks that ability to change things up and, you know, put make people uncomfortable, like we just talked about with what Demonor does to Medvedev. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I do want to go back to the learner thing, though. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's keep in mind, this guy's 17 years old. Yeah, he's 17. I think he's still, think he's still <laughs> eligible to play Kalamazoo another year, so we could potentially be seeing our first... Is he? I'm not sure if he is. I, I don't know, but I think you might be right. Okay, well, if he, like, if he is, boy. Three... But... But he, it, but he, he held his own so well, and that's a top ten player. Like exactly, and you've got to give your flowers. Like you know, yeah. let's be, let's be real. 
Lerner can't do anything yet that can really make Francis uncomfortable. Like, he's just not there physically. He just hasn't developed to that point. But given how well he can make contact with the ball from behind the baseline at this stage of his career is a testament to his level of talent and dedication. And it just shows that there is a bright future for him if he can continue to grow at those aspects. I do kind of wonder if there is a bit of a ceiling for Lerner, though, just from the lack of, I'll just say, the lack of size and weapons. But if there's anybody who can figure it out, I think he can. So, uh, What I would I, love I, to I see him... What I would love to see from him is to add more of those touch and feel shots. Because like you said, not the biggest in size. And when you have those guys that are usually not the biggest guys, they have that ability to touch and slide and slide that variety. It's not all power, you know, and adding in slices and drop shots to mix things up. And I would love to see him do that a bit more. Um, but held his own very well against Francis. Um, the other two, the other three matches that I saw from the men's side that I was going to touch on, Chris Eubanks. If you want to talk about a guy that knows how to light up a crowd, Chris Eubanks definitely falls under that category. Um, Was kind of, you know, disappointed how that third set went. Um, But no, he played great throughout the entire time. Um, His serve, those first two sets on point, um, I don't know what else to add. It It was textbook from him. Um, I think a lot of people were underestimating Sun Wukong, which was, you know, frustrating because, I mean, like, you can't discredit the guy. He's a very good player, and a lot of people were... I heard fans in the stadium going, like, oh, this should be, like, a cakewalk. And I'm like, mm, not necessarily a cakewalk. Um, I'm going to leave that one for last. Um, Hugo Gaston versus Shima Bukuro. Um... Much more entertaining than many would expect. Um, Gaston played great. I was in between two courts. It was them, and then on the other side was the other match I was gonna I'm gonna bring up, which was Mackie versus Felix. Um, what a match! What a match! Um, kind of, we kind of hung around the Hugo Gaston match because um, one of the guys I was with um, is close friends with Gaston's coach. So, no, uh, Hugo played great. Third set was kind of iffy, was up, I think, like, 4-1, to one, and then dropped it, um, dropped the ball a little bit, but got it back in the end. Um, big, and this brings up just, like, the only reason why I'm bringing this up is that it brings up a larger issue that I noticed with players, is it's a very elite level that is smart enough to think on the fly and understand how to pick the right shots. And what I mean by that is something that we noticed um, towards the end of that match was like Shiro Bakuro was going to Gaston's backhand almost constantly. And we were, and everybody, we were just standing there like, why do you keep going to this backhand? This guy is clearly comfortable with his backhand and is hitting winners with it left and right. Why not mix it up? Hit it heavy and deep to his forehand. Push him, frustrate him, you know, do something. Um, but yeah, that I mean, might be an um, all-time quote right there. Do something. Okay, we're we're gonna use that for later. Um, Jerry versus Nakashima was great. 
frustrated um, to see Brandon lose. Um, and then I also got to see Zapata Murias uh, beat Ethan Quinn. Um, what can you do? It was just, you know, a, what can you well, do? I think, I think that just shows the difference in level between a seasoned pro and someone who is just starting out on the pro tour. Like, not, I, I just I just think not everyone can be Ben Shelton. Not everyone can be Peyton Stearns or Emma Navarro and have that immediate success once you get to the Pro Tour. Again, it's still way earlier for Ethan than it is for any of those. This is still technically, I think, so, his only his third yeah. or fourth ATP Tour event, his main draw. Yeah. So And so also the guy that I was – one of the guys I was with is also good friends with Manny Diaz, who I'm sure you know of. Um, obviously, um, yeah, the guy I was with, grew up with him in Puerto Rico, and so we got to chat, I got to chat with Manny Diaz, and there are, like, I was talking with, with the guy I was with, um, who was one of my coaches, and we were talking, and just, Ethan Quinn, his game works well for college tennis, but I just don't see it transferring to the Pro Tour just yet, and it's that matter of it has to develop. It's just a lack of penetrative weaponry. Like it's it's the lack well, of like I don't think in terms it's the of like weapons, then. in terms of like <sighs> develop he needs to develop the weapons and then learn how to use them as effectively as possible. Well, I don't being think, efficient. I, I really don't think it's the weapons that are the issue though, because you can clearly see the power that the forehand yeah. has, the the first serve has. I really do think it's about polishing the rest of the game at the same time, like. He's still a little bit raw with it's the it's the very like typical it's a very like typical American that we talked about like um, developmental you know yeah trend well, within game, tennis game, of like the, the big all, serve yeah. big forehand you know yeah. the game that I always saw was Jack Sock when I yeah. saw Ethan play the first That's time a good point. because because just how loose the shoulder is how like how fluid and everything. It is with the motion and the forehand and his willingness to volley. And he's a very comfortable volleyer, really likes to get up there. He has a very mature offensive game style. He's just, I, I just think he lacks the ability to get in and out of yeah. corners defensively. And also just, I don't know how good the pace absorption is on the backhand. And even when you go hard inside the forehand, that's kind of when the issues start to happen just because of how exaggerated his backswing is. He does very well with, like, a certain volume game style, just kind of yeah. going up and finishing points and taking control of those points. Yeah. Um, uh, whenever okay. Zapata Murias got on the offensive, it was just kind of, like, dialing back and back and back, and then it was just... point. Yeah. The points were relatively short. The yeah. ones that if I saw Ethan, were relatively short. If Ethan can start maximizing the amount of times that he can get a first serve and then back into his ad side corner for a forehand. If he can just keep repeating those patterns and finding ways to get to patterns that work for him offensively and just find ways to stay inside the baseline and get up to the front of the court, then there's a real ceiling there and he can actually do some real damage very soon because those weapons are pro ready. Everything else, I'm sorry, just isn't yet. I'm not saying that they won't be. He's 19 years old. Like, give him some time. He just came out of college. Like, it's just going to take a few years to develop both professionally, mentally, and 
physically, I think there's more work that he needs to be done. But Ethan has just had such elite coaching for so long in his life. Like Brad Stein has been his coach since he was like seven or eight. And then just like Brad Stein, then you have, then you go to Manny Diaz at Georgia, and then you, you come back to Brad Stein now. It's like he's going to figure it out. I think it'll be okay. And like I, I just think all of this is a year – it's just – it's all a learning experience from now. Like everything from NCAAs has just been about getting his feet wet and figuring out how the tour works. I'm not going to judge anything really until his first full year on the pro tour, which is next year. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And with that said like, – like I still think we're yeah. sorry. Sorry to no, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I still think we're too early on Ben. Like, yes, he's still very capable of these deep runs, but he's not yet at the point where he can go week to week to week, yes. going quarters and just because he this was his first full year on tour. Like we saw, what he's comfortable on is these outdoor hard courses that he grew up on in the states. Where, where are the best runs that he's had all year? The slams where he's had the ability to kind of maneuver his way through best of five and find his form throughout matches in Australia and then the U.S. Open here, quarterfinals, round of 16. He plays really well in Indian Wells. And then he, and I think he's played well at Wimbledon as well. Like I think I think the, the slams are where he'll be the most successful just because he has a little bit more time to find his game throughout the course of a match. But I, I, again, I'm just not going to judge anything until next yeah. year. Next year to me is Ben's like, okay, if you're going to start showing something, show it now. And he's already surpassed my expectations. Everything at this point yeah. is just – is it's all gravy. What I'm seeing is the, diff- like the difference. Um, and you can fully put this on a full – like an almost full year on tour versus like third ATP – you know, main you know main draw in terms of in the term of Ethan Quinn, but it just feels like Ben understands to like a higher degree what like what weapons he has and how to use a lot, utilize them efficiently. Yes. You have to know what you have and how you can use them to force you know yourself to win points, lose points, whatever. I just Ethan needs to grow and develop that awareness. Not that he doesn't have it. Is yeah, that I, I, if you're gonna play on the pro tour, you need to increase it and develop yeah. like it, if, and grow it. If we if we ask Ethan right now, like, what is your best point of attack? He'll say it's my serve and forehand and getting yeah. up to the net. He, it's not like we know anything more than Ethan does about his own game. Oh, yeah. Like let's let's be real. Like he knows that. It's just a matter of actually executing that and figuring out ways to get to those patterns consistently over time. Yeah, f- fully agreed. And then the last one that I was going to talk about was Felix versus Mackey. That end of that end of the day, like before I was leaving, was just crazy because it was Musetti losing to Drokay, and then <laughs> it was like all these like high, like really really high caliber matches going on at once. Mackey, good God, the crowd. No, that those stands were packed. Like you couldn't see. Like I could barely see what was going on because there's. Like four rows of people just standing on like their tiptoes trying to see and try to get a glimpse of what's going on. Mackey played phenomenally. He played out of his mind. That's the tennis that he should be playing. Could you blame it partially on it not being Felix's day? A million percent. Um, I don't think it was Felix's day. 
it was 100% well, really, Mackey's, though. It, it really like, hasn't been Felix's month. Like, you can see that from there. Yeah. I really don't think that was an upset. I honestly think Mackey was the no. favorite going into this match because just when agree. you just look at the results, Mackey was consistently reaching third round, round of 16s at these Masters 1000. I don't think Felix has won a match since... I don't know. If you, you asked me to bet, I would have. If you if you asked me for bets, I would have bet every bond dollar on what's called on Mackie winning that. It's not even like, come on. That's fair, and and it's not even it's not an insult to Felix. Mackie is that kind of player. He's shown those results over. I mean, he has wins over Holger Runa, Felix. Actually, you know what? Let's let's pull up Mackie McDonald's record over the past month or so. I mean, he's gotten wins against. Hold on. Sorry about that. Give me one second. Starting, ranging back to the City Open, Mackey's beaten Diego Schwartzman, loses to Grigor Dimitra. Okay, that's a good loss. Uh, that's, with the form Grigor has shown over the past couple of years. Then he goes to Canada, and he beats Andre Rublev in straight sets on a hard court, and then goes off and beats Milos Raonic. Fair enough. Then, again, loses to Davidovich Fokina. That's a good loss, especially with the form Davidovich Fakino was in in Canada. Then you go off to Cincinnati, and then he beats Yannick Hoffman, beats Holger Runa. Admittedly, that was a walkover in the second set. I don't think Holger is fully right physically. And then ends up having to pull out of his own match against Adrian Manorino in the next match. And now, going into the men's singles, beats Felix in the first round. But what I will say, though... I, I think the second round loss to Borna Goyo was a missed opportunity. However, Goyo is playing incredibly well. He's reached the fourth round here. We'll see what he can do against Novak, but I do think that was a bit of a missed opportunity for Mackey. But we'll see how the rest goes. But hey, he's still alive in the doubles. Yeah. <laughs> if, if nothing else. But no. Um, any last remarks on the men's side? Well, nothing really. I just want to point out, um, I saw this stat. I'm sure you saw it too. It's been circulating all morning, basically. But there was something about the ages of everyone who's... Sorry, I just scrolled on Twitter and saw that Chris Eubanks is calling the match for Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul, which, let's go. But (laughs) I did see... Sorry, I'm looking up this tweet. The ages of... The current round of 16 players on the men's draw are, I think, Djokovic. Sorry. Westoff, you might have to cut some of this out for our poor listeners. But (laughs) Come on, let's go. Why why don't you filibuster while I look this up? Um, Yeah. I... (laughs) Well, oh, God, what am I even going to do here? Um... No, men's draw has been very, very exciting. I think the caliber of matches have been higher than, I don't know, I feel like when I've, as as far as I've expected. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. The words just came out of my mouth. Um, John Isner and Jack Sock both retired um, after this U.S. Open. Um, very nice ceremony for John Isner. Um Got to talk to uh, Manny Diaz and how much he's appreciated um, John's presence on tour. And, you know, John has had an amazing career. And, um, no, I wish I, I wish I was there to see it. And, yeah. 
I'll let you. I'll yeah. let you take it, Mister. Used to used to go to Georgia. <laughs> well, yeah. So, just again, John Isner is whether many of you agree with his politics or not. He certainly got Please under don't. fire for some of this his is, Twitter. Takes. This is not a political show. This is you know. Okay, well, I think but, was, but was what a big I'm thing to is, note. I think was a big thing to note is that for many year for for many slams, John Isner was the only American in the draw. Exactly, and, and that's what I'm saying is whether you credit agree with where some, it's what due, he said or not, he was a great player. Yeah, and deserves okay. the, all the credit that he you know. Personal feelings aside, we can still celebrate someone who carried the flag for American tennis and bared that burden of being the guy ever since Andy Roddick and James Blake were around. Just you can appreciate what he's done for American tennis and how he he almost revolutionized the game. Basically, like he was the very first guy, maybe Ivo Karlovic, of like that size to do and play the way he did. He was the OG serve bot as. Many of Tim, the generation of Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, and Tommy Paul know him as. But full circle aside, I got I finally got the stat. 2023 U.S. Open men's singles fourth round features one player before 1988, zero players born between 1988 and 95, eight players born in 96 to 99, and then seven players born in the 2000s. So... I, again, outside of Novak Djokovic, you can clearly see that the generational shift is starting to happen. And I think what was really interesting, though, was that zero players born in ninety-eight or born in eighty-eight to ninety-five, especially with Grigor gone now. Like, the, I think we might officially have to be calling them the lost gen. Whether it's Grigor, Chilich, Nishikori, Raonic, that whole crew has essentially been surpassed by. Not just the Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal's, and Andy Murray's of the world, but now they've been surpassed by even Daniel Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Alex Zverev. And now they're being surpassed again by Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Runa, Ben Shelton, Lorenzo Musetti. That whole crew is now start and Yannick Sinner, obviously, but that whole crew is now starting to really be phased out of this game. And it is a bit of a shame just given how good the big three were at the primes again i'm not saying that the big four were bad for tennis or anything like that they were incredible but we did miss out on a lot of great careers for some of these guys and you do feel for them in a sense but hey at the same time that just is the way it is in sports and you can only play against the people who are around at the time you're around so i think what's even more disappointing about it is um is when you look at how many slams they have that lost generation. Um, I believe is it two? Chilich, Dominic team. Yeah, I, well, I keep forgetting that Dominic team's part of that group. But he's, he technically he is, yeah. is. He yeah, he, he technically is, is. People group him in with the next gen, but he's thirty now, so he is a part of that group. Yeah, but, and when you and when you look at they, I'm. Am I am I right in saying that it's just team and what's it called team Chilich. and uh, Chilich? Well, if you I guess if you want to group Del Potro in there, but he's a little older and that I don't know if I count him in that group. Yeah, I guess that is it. Wow, that was kind of sad. <laughs> I think there's there's so many places you could say deserve better, but it's so tough when you're 
in such a dominant era. Yeah. And I mean, who's to say, are we really the people to say, oh, this person deserved better? Like, how we don't really know. Or, well, I think, time, like, I think what I mean by that is just like the caliber of player could have done better in a different era, you know? They could have. Like they could have achieved more, yeah. Like, if Dominic Team was not 30 and he was 25, there, in my opinion, I would still to... be, like, three more, what's called, three more slams on his in his future, yeah. you know? Well, and didn't, and didn't have the injury. And didn't have the, had. yeah, the injury, you know. But still, I mean, points, point stands. Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm 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 very surprised, and I think to transfer over to the women's side, we haven't really had that on the women's side as much. We've had kind of steady winners throughout. Um, let's look at that women's side, which has been also very very interesting. Um, we'll start on the on the top half since they're playing first. Iga Swiatek versus Yelena Ostapenko. I will credit where it's due. Um, Iga has had a pretty, 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 pretty cakewalk um, route to to the to the fourth round. Um, I'm curious to see how she has against Ostapenko, who I believe Iga has never beaten so yep, far. Three, three um, no head to head for Yelena Ostapenko. I think this is sure. a time where I think this is the match where it becomes three and one. Um, Iga is one of the players I got to see up close and in person. Um, she's playing great. Granted, she played against Rebecca um, against Rebecca Peterson. Um, what I noticed with Peterson um, is that she couldn't handle the Iga topspin forehand. Um, she would go to Iga's forehand too often. Um, you need to mix it up. Iga moves very well, but at least you know mix it up. You can't be predictable and. There's so many things that you can break down about what players could slash should be doing. Um, but Iga is top caliber. She is the world number one for a reason. I think this is where it turns. I think despite it being a cakewalk, Iga understands what challenge Yelena Sapenko, you know, is in front of her. Um, and I think she also understands that it's going to be much more difficult than the last three matches. But also the confidence carrying over from the first three matches is why Iga does so well in the second half of slams. Is because well, she I, has those first three rounds of of momentum and now she's just carrying forward. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is just... Yeah, she has that kind of... Hmm, I don't know how to say it, but Iga just has that air of invincibility right now where it just... It just feels like she has separated herself once again from the rest of the pack. Kind of similar to Irina Sabalenka. Again, I'm not saying there aren't people who are on the same level as her. Like, I think Irina Sabalenka could still give her a run for her money. Sabalenka's looked really good all tournament. Coco Goff, again, we've seen what she's been capable of over the past month. Even Jesse Pagula has given her trouble now and has beaten her in a significant event. So we'll see how that kind of impacts things. But I just feel like... Iga is much more secure in herself going into this U.S. Open than she was last year. Maybe because she just is the defending champion and she has that extra layer of confidence. But I just feel like 
if you need if you are if you have to be able to beat Iga, you need to have the weaponry you need to be able to attack her second serve and you need to just have the confidence of saying okay i can beat her because at my best i know i can play at the same level as Iga. and yelena osipenko has that so i'm not going to discount her from being able to win today there is a three and zero head to head she does like that matchup i believe she was also the last person to beat triantec before she went on her streak of 30 plus matches won last year but I, I have a hard time picking against Iga, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lean with you again. I think Iga's gonna win, but oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Ostapenko causes another upset and makes a head-to-head four zero. Um, with that said, I think the matchup that Iga should be more scared of, if she can get past this one, is there's a very spicy fourth round match right under them, and it is Coco Goff who just beat her in Cincinnati against the return of Caroline Wozniacki. Wow. Okay, who who genuinely would have guessed that we would still have Wozniacki in this this draw in the fourth round? Um, What a tournament it's been for Caroline. Um, For starters, I'd like to just... I just... I don't know how to how to use words to describe the way that she's played. And the last two matches that she played are against top caliber, like Grand Slam finalists, Grand Slam winners. Jen Brady in the third round, who's been playing really great, had a great upset against Magda Lynette. Again, on her um, own comeback. Yeah. But. And then Petra Kvitova in the second round. Just on in a league of her own, it's been really fun to watch Wozniacki's matches just because I remember... You know, like growing up watching her play and her strokes, her shots have not changed. Like they've barely changed, and it's so like so much fun to watch. Um, it does kind of bring me back to the question of what Ye- what former world number one and zero time Grand Slam winner Yelena Yankovic said a few weeks before. You know, when or sorry, around the time when Ye- when Wozniacki announced her comeback. Um, which I don't know if you remember this archit, but Yankovic said that Wozniacki's coming back because there's no threats in the in the on the tour. There's no like dominance that it's a relatively easy field, which I think well, is just well, absolutely disrespectful to the entire top thirty of on the women's tour. Yeah, well, there's, um, there's clearly a respectable field given with. Given the success that Iga Shiontek has had, she's had four sons before the age of twenty-two. Let's be, yeah. that is dominance at his, at its own definition. But even regards from that, you have players like Sabalenka, Rabakina, Kogo, Pagula, that whole and Anjibur and just everyone. But at the same time, I get the point where it's like, okay, the game hasn't really moved on from when. Wozniacki was playing at her best. Like I think it slightly yeah, has. Yes, it slightly has. Yes, the players are better, but there's no reason why Wozniacki can't compete at the highest yeah. level against a lot of these players. I'm not saying she's good enough to be winning slams all of a sudden. Hey, what a story it would be if she could. But I just think that objectively, when you have the intangibles and just the weaponry and the level of physical fitness that Caroline Wozniacki has – you can get away with a few years out of the game and still come back and be competitive against some of the best players in the world and beat them, as we've seen so far. I expect her to give Coco a really tough time, actually. 
I, I, I'm gonna go out on this limb and say this publicly on camera, which I think may be kind of iffy. Um, I understand where Yankovic is coming from, but I would kill for a prime Iga versus prime Serena Williams matchup. And I genuinely think that Iga could give Serena a run for her money. That I mean, is a very... Could, I, I genuinely currently... think that that would be a genuine run for her money, and I, and here's why. Well, Iga hasn't had hit her prime yet. I don't think she has either, but if you want, yeah. I will count the 37-match win streak where not nobody could touch her for the life. Um, I think Serena would have a tough time handling Iga's topspin. She's not used to it. Um, also, Serena's game is heavily reliant on pushing players side to side. Very powerful gameplay. Yes, Arsh, I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, Iga has phenomenal movement. Is this delusion? It could be. Do I think Serena will will, uh, will win? Would win probably. Um, okay. I, I think I'm it would be a great match. But I just think I just think my point in saying all this is that I think Yankovic is putting too high of a value on her generation, which, let's be real, was marked by Serena, Azarenka, and, and Sharapova. That th- that trio yeah. ran and, women's and, tennis. And, and, can, and I think and I think what I think Yankovic is completely discrediting this generation and the current field to be not as good. Like let's let's think about the th- top ten from that can. generation. First of all, I don't even place Yankovic in that top ten. I don't think she is. Like, I'm sorry. She like no way. No way in hell. Fair. I mean. Um I think of Serena Azarenka, Sharapova, Lina, Kavitova, even though she's technically in both. Um, Wozniaki. Wozniaki, Kerber, ha- um, the start Halep. of Halop, um, Muguruza. Um, you could extend it to the smaller non-slam winners like... What you about could extend it to Rodwanska Dina- and stuff Rodwanska, like that? Dinara Safina, Dementieva. It's all fair point that like those were all great players. But to say that Wozniacki can still play and that the field is uncompetitive for her and that like she could just breeze through is disrespectful. Yeah, and I think there was a level of hyperbole in that statement. I, I, I'm sh- I get the reasoning behind it where it's like, yes, the game hasn't moved on from where... Like, Wozniacki is still a really good player and she can still compete at the highest level. I, she, she's not a multi-slam winner in this generation just on the merits of what she accomplished in the past because you don't know how... The, the, the factor is, like, you can't see players from this level competing against that because it just can't happen, right? So it's just so impossible to compare eras in tennis. So why are we even entertaining this exercise? Like, yeah. <laughs> Caroline Wozniacki is a great player. She's phenomenal legacy. She, what she's accomplished in her career, very few people have. I think she's now reached the round of 16 as a teenager, as world number one, and as a mother. So she's clearly doing think, something right. Yeah. But I think what's okay. really good for Caro in this tournament is that her physical ability and her movement has not dropped, which I yeah. think that's the one thing, if anything, that, the, that has changed over time is the emphasis on movement. Um, I feel like in the 2000s and like early 2010s, 
it was much more like power, flat, moving side to side rather than an emphasis on movement. Um, I don't know if that's crazy of me to say. I also feel like we saw more drop shots. I don't know if that's crazy to say. Like we, I feel like we saw more finesse and touch shots back then that could be because of like the Rodwanska, Sue Shays of the world. But I don't know. I feel like it's slightly evolved in terms of movement. I think that it's much more important to be a good mover. And I think it's really beneficial for Caro that her movement and her physicality has not dropped. Um, and you've seen that over the last... And you've seen that over the last few matches. Um, her shots are still flat and penetrate like they did before, um, which is all super important. Um, but moving on, because we've kind of i'm sorry i've dragged this on way too too long on this tangent but the the second the second half of the draw um kasakina versus sabalenka winner plays anjabur or kinwen jung an all-american matchup of maddie keys and jesse pagula plays the winner of i can't believe i'm saying this von drusova versus peyton stearns please what i wouldn't give to see peyton stearns become a grand slam quarter finalist what i wouldn't give no no hate for Von Drusova, but just as, you know, someone who works for the company that we do and is a fan of college tennis, I would love, love, love to see another college tennis player, young college tennis player, break through. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to come out with a hot take here. Objectively, yes, Ben has had the bigger runs and he's had the flashier moments and done the successful He's done everything. He's got the on deal. He's hanging out with Roger Federer and doing all of that, going to Labor Cup. I think what Peyton Stearns has done is more impressive because there's a week-to-week level of success yeah. and consistency that Stearns is bringing to the table. Like I, Fans of college tennis voice this. Peyton Stearns' forehand was good in college. It wasn't this good. Like I remember watching that. Like, she's not the same player that she was in college compared to now again she was a phenomenal player won a national championship with texas she was great at the same time peyton has just improved to a level that is so so remarkable and i think she's really raised her floor like with ben you can see that the ceiling is so evident like you know what is possible Peyton is making more of her floor a reality, and she's cons- she's now a solidified top fifty player, right? And she's consistently making deep runs at every tournament she plays. Now she's at the fourth round of a slam. There's a chance for a quarterfinal here. She's really comfortable on these courts. It's really yeah. really impressive, and to see that from like, the likes of her and someone like Emma, Emma Navarro is really really impressive. And let me say, like, I genuinely. If I was backing someone for who I think will genuinely win this matchup, there is a genuine part of me that is going to say Peyton Stearns. Fully. No, like, I, I think, like, uh, if, if we say it on a general note, I still think that it's going to be Von Drusova, but I think there is a very high chance that it is Peyton. Like, when you look at, on the, both the men's and women's side, the unseeded versus the seeded, this is one of the matchups where I genuinely think that the unseeded player has a very good chance of beating the seeded player. It is a very high chance, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's fair. I'll, I think she's I done a very say, good job of developing... I will say we are, yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but I will say Go we are talking it. about it. We are talking about Wimbledon champion Marquette of Huntersilla. Yes. I just yes. want to put. I just want and to I will keep. And I will keep saying I don't want to give any. I don't want to discredit Vondrusova at all. Listen, she's a phenomenal player, sure. and she's always going to be dangerous. I'm just saying, like when you look at the way the pain's been playing, and you look at the way that she's been able to develop her game, and something that I mentioned with Ben and Ethan, her ability also to understand how to use her weapons efficiently, understand yeah. how to set up those opportunities, how to create opportunities for herself, and then close those opportunities and finish the deal. She's done very well, and I completely agree with you. We've seen a, a very impressive level of consistency from her. And the last thing I want to add, win or lose, this is huge for her. She made the second week of a slam. This does leaps and bounds for her confidence-wise. And I think that after this, we can only expect good things for her, at least in the near future, like, running throughout the end of this season, just because, like, this is going to be a big mental, like, momentum kicker for her, for sure. Yeah, and it's a hurdle that she's already cleared at this stage of her career. She's managed to get to that level so early, which is such... A, a massive credit to her. I think she's really going to be competitive in this match. Like she's not going to give anything to Vondrusova. I think she she'll be able to fight through it. I have Vondrusova winning just because I think the quality that you need to beat these top ten players just is so immense. But at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked again if Peyton Stearns picks up the upset. Um, with that why said, we head on over? let's yeah. see. Um, I'm excited for an All-American matchup. Um, it's been, I don't know how long it's been since we've seen All-American matchups this commonly. Like, we have, when was the last time we had four America, um, four Americans on both sides of the singles draws? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. this and, is really great way, for American yeah. tennis. And in some ways, I really do want to give flowers to the American women as well, because, like, Yes, the American men have struggled for so long that it is a real story. The fact that, you know, they haven't had success. So now everyone's really hyping up the fact that they have four American men in the round of 16. Well, guess what? The American women have that as well. And they have been killing it for so long and so consistently. I mean, dating back to obviously Serena and Venus and yeah. what they did for American tennis will always be appreciated and respected. But just even going from there to not have that that maybe that hangover of saying oh these players are really struggling and going from to people like jessica pagula jennifer brady coco goff obviously is you know renowned as the heir apparent to what the williams sisters did i don't want to put that much pressure on her but obviously she's someone who revels in that pressure but coco goff jessica pagula jennifer brady madison keys having the success that she's had this week it just feels like when we give credit to American tennis players, we only focus on the fact that the men are surpassing expectations. Well, guess what? The women consistently come to play and have met met or exceeded expectations week by week all year. Let me put this point out there. I think what a lot of people harp on is the fact that it that the last time an American man has won a men's singles slam was yeah, two thousand two thousand three. Yeah, with Andy twenty Ryan. years ago. Yeah, but I'd like to point out that I think the reason why people look over the women is because we've had such a dominant American woman for so long in Serena Williams. 
and for that matter, both of the Williams sisters. But let me say, since 2002, when Jennifer Capriati won the Australian, since then, the only American women to win slams outside of the Williams sisters were Sophia Kennan in 2020 at the Australian and Sloane Stevens at the 2017 U.S., what the American women are doing is very impressive. I think you look at both sides, it's always super important that we have Americans doing well because they inspire a whole other generation. You look at Coco Goff and she credits the fact that she even plays a sport to the Williams sisters. Thus, you know, it keeps adding on to how important it is to have American representation because it's not, because tennis isn't a big sport in the US. And I just think I fully agree with you. The women deserve like much more credit than they've been getting. Um, people, I think the world just expected Jesse and Coco to make it as far as they have, but you have to give full credit not only to them for what they've done because they deserve a lot of credit, but also Maddie Keys and Peyton Stearns and Jen Brady and all these like amazing female players that have done so so well. Bernarda Para made the third round. Um, Taylor Townsend has been on an, you know, on just an, an uphill climb of momentum that I think all we can do is hope to see it continue. Like, it's really great how many American flags we've been able to see so late into the tournament. And to have four in the second week on both sides is really, really great for the future of the sport in this country. Um, with that said... Let's go to predictions, if we are so bold to do them. Yeah, our favorite segment I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate that Ego versus Coco is a quarterfinal. Um, with that said, do we want to do what, semifinal expectations? Sure, why not? <sighs> I'll let you go first, though. What? Why? Okay, men's, men's or women's? We'll go women's first since we're on that note, and then we'll head over to the men's and wrap it. Okay. Um, my top half semifinal is a repeat of this year's French Open final. It's Iga versus Mahova. Um, I think Iga gets revenge on Coco. Um, what scares me generally um, about making that pick is that Coco feeding off of the American crowd is a different animal. We all saw and her match against... We all saw she, the stuff that yeah. happened with her and Laura Siegmund. Um, just... I just think that Iga in Grand Slams is a different animal. She's not, I don't, I, I feel like there's this like dissonance between her in regular WTA events and then her at Slams. Just the Slams bring out a different animal and I don't know how to explain it. Um, I think Iga beats Coco in three. I think that'll, I think that will be, my prediction is genuinely that that quarterfinal is the match of the tournament. For the women's side. That's um, fair. On the bottom half, can you deny Sabalenka? I don't know. I think Anja Burr could prove some difficulty just because of her craftiness mixed in with her ability to hit a solid ball. And that's the same reason why I say that Mohova goes that far. Both of them have amazing touch and feel, know, uh, have great variety in their shots know how to effectively use a slice while at the same time having very solid and strong ground strokes i will say god i don't want to be regular schmegular but i'm gonna say it jesse pagula versus sabalenka 
um, two versus three. Okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah. It's you know, um, you can't. I can't. I can't go against it. I can't. Yeah. I'll, I'll okay, let you well, go. Well, for my semifinals, I'm gonna go again. I, I'm gonna go with Iga Shriantek. I was really, really tempted to go with Coco there for a second. Just oh with yeah. The form that she's shown over the past month. I again, I I'm with you. I think if that match does happen. And that's still a big if because they've got Ostapenko and Wozniacki standing in between, in front of them. But if that match does happen, I think it could be the match of the tournament. Can I can uh, I quickly say, just sorry to cut you off, but whoever wins that match, if it is Ego versus Coco, whoever wins that match is my pick to win the whole thing. If Coco beats Iga, I'm picking her to win the whole thing. If Iga beats Coco, I'm picking her to to win the whole thing. Fair enough. Yeah. I, again, I'm going to say Shriantek against Belinda Bencic in my semifinal. Ooh, nice pick. Bencic yeah, plays just, great on a hard court. Bencic, Especially on again, a fast hard court. Yeah, very, very good on a hard court. I just, and she's quietly had a really good season. It, she hasn't had the success at the slams that you know has always been evading her for what, what seems like almost her entire career now. But I just think I just think it's bound to happen at some point when you're playing at that level. I I'm going to go with Shriantek versus Bencic there in the semifinals. And then for my other semifinal, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go with... Am I going with Jabir or Sabalenka? That's, that was the same predicament I, that I had. Yeah, I, I'm going Sabalenka and then Sabalenka against... Yeah, Jesse Pagula. I, I'm going to be with you there. And then... To carry things off for my final, I'm going to say Shviantek v. Sabalenka for a battle of world number one. Yeah. And I have Sabalenka winning. Ooh. I have the opposite. Uh, I could fully I could fully see Ego versus Jesse Pagula, though. Jesse making her first slam final would be a great story. Especially in the U.S., yeah. Exactly. Um, as for the men's, um, do you have yours? Because I, <laughs> I sure don't. Um, I mean, I'll, since since I was mean enough to make you start for the women, <laughs> I'll start for the men. Sorry, I just, I'm just looking. I'm the the Tommy Paul Ben Shelton match is going on, and out of the corner of my eye, I just saw that Tommy Paul has break point already up three love. Can you look down, please? Get get off of the screen. Listen, I have to. Um, okay. <laughs> Listen. What do you mean three love? Hold on, excuse. Wait. Yeah, he's up three love with break point in the third game. Christ. So much Christ. bigger Ben Shelton semifinal pick, but I'm holding you to it on this. To, on this. Hold but, on, did I say semifinal? You said. When did could. I say semifinal? You could, you could, I said. You said you I said he could. Him. I said he could. I didn't say. Uh, hold on. Okay. 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 Well. <laughs> anyways. Men's semifinal. I'm gonna go with. Carlos Alcaraz and Daniil Medvedev. And then... Yeah, Carlos Alcaraz and Daniil Medvedev. And then I will go with Francis Tiafo and Novak Djokovic. That's what I was going to say. Finalists, Francis and Novak. Fi- yeah, my finalists, Novak and Alcaraz. As much as, like, I really have found the discourse of of an inevitable Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz, I've really found that tiring and kind of disrespectful to the rest of the draw. Like, are we really penciling in a final between 
them. Yes, they are the two world's best, but let's be real. There's still plenty of time. There's such a difference between my dream final and the one that I think is going to happen. All right, let's speak realistically. Um, Alcaraz... Alcaraz versus versus Aldr- I'll dream big. Okay, Alcaraz versus Alex Demonor. Um I'll dream Whoa. big. <laughs> Whoa. I think Demonor poses a th- poses an issue. I think his movement is great, his touch is great, his variety is great. He knows how to use up different shots uh to throw off opponents is what Medvedev struggles with. I think Rublev could struggle with it to a certain degree. Um Jack Draper is my is my maybe. I don't know. And not, and not in terms of, like, maybe he'll make the semis, but in terms of, like, maybe I don't know what he would do against Demonor, say he wins, because um, you can never count out anybody. Um, Tiavo versus Novak. I mean, come on. Um, Novak versus Alcaraz is the final that I think we're going to get. Uh, Sinner versus an American is the final that I would like us to get. Um, but you got to be realistic. I If I'm going to be held to my own word... I'm gonna at least be realistic and not say Sinner versus an American, which is possible, but I would say unlikely. Yeah. Again, I would uh, I would love to see an American in the final. Um, I think it'd be really great. Honestly, I, I I feel like the toughest possible matchup for Novak in this in his little section would honestly be Taylor Fritz. But I just I expect him to kind of be Taylor. I think Taylor, if he can get through his round of sixteen match today, I still think that's an if. But if he can get through that, I think he'll give a good account of himself against Novak. But I'm gonna go with yeah, Alcaraz Djokovic final, and I have Novak winning in five. Alcaraz Djokovic final, and I would like a repeat defending champ. Alcaraz takes it in five. I think I think the one like non-negotiable that we're both going to agree on is that if it does happen, the it likelihood of it going five sets is like slim to none. I like, hope it does, though. I hope it does. I yeah. would love it to. Regardless of who wins, I would love an entertaining final. I mean, these are two guys that will be entertaining regardless of, as long as we don't get an injury. God forbid. Yeah. As, um, as many Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz matches before the former retires would be would be very very happy for me like i would just i would appreciate it very much so. I, and I'm sure I, many I agree but also the story has run dry okay the story will i mean it's it's get we're getting to the point where it's running dry just because i think the world I don't is think tired. It has though because i don't think it has though because like realistically like novak it, is okay. still battling history and novak's still yes. trying to get to 24 and yes um, I also think like, and Alcaraz could be potentially trying to cement himself as an all-time great already at this stage of his career, and however many wins he can get against Novak at this stage of his career, he'll take them. True, and to, like, I mean it would be I, great to have such a great stat line against one of the greatest. Yeah, like I, I mean should, the greatest, but I just yeah. don't think. <sighs> I just said one just of to to cover yeah. my own, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think that. I just don't think that people are ever going to get tired of that because until the day Novak retires, really, or maybe when, if there's ever a time where he decides that he can't hang it, hang, hack it at this level for that long. Okay, but. I'm going to say this. I, it's one of those things where, like, in the moment, 
because I'm the guy that always would love to see new slam winners or like young guys picking up and racking up more more slams. Carlos has two. I would love to see him rack up some more. I'd love to see you know Yannick Sinner and the Americans win some. And like I think it's gonna be one of those things where, here's the thing: when at the at the tail end of the last few Rafa winning the French. I was starting to get frustrated and be like, please, just give us someone new. Like, I love Rafa, but please give us someone new. And it started to get tiring. And I feel like it's the same way that I feel about Novak. It's one of those things where, like, after everything is said and done, you're going to appreciate and, like, you know, miss those moments of, you know, those, like, classic matches that, you know, like the Roger Federer versus Rafa Nadal rivalry. Like, it's exactly. done. So, cause, so you know, let's, enjoy, let's enjoy them while we still exactly. can. Exactly. Right. Enjoy enjoy that we have it, but at the same time, I'm still always going to be that guy that is waiting for the new slam winners, the up-and-comers. Like, I loved watching Ego win her first two slams. Um, loved watching Sabalenka win her first slam, etc., etc. You know, watching people break through and get to that top. But, you know, we got to appreciate the level of tennis that we're getting while we have it. That's fair. I mean, I yeah. think we've left that on the strongest possible note that we can. But With that said, Archit, take us out, buddy. <laughs> well, special thanks to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the editing job that he does day in, day out here at Crack Rackets. We wouldn't be able to do anything we do here without him and his tireless efforts. Be sure to check out all our other great content on the Mini Break Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, all the other shows we have on the Great Shot Podcast here. Read our website, crackedrackets.com. Follow us on all socials at crackedrackets on both. Well, I guess it's called X now and Instagram, but I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm always just going to refer to it as Twitter on these. So at crackedrackets yeah. on Twitter and Instagram. Anything else, Richard? Yeah. Um, at Suresh Archit, right? Or did you change yeah. it? <laughs> well, at, Instagram has changed, but we'll figure that out. Yeah, later. I was going to say, I saw it. Um, and yeah. then at richardmy 3 uh, make sure to check us out on all of our socials and check out the great work that we're doing. Uh, like you said, to echo what you said, um, at Cracked Rackets. Um, but yeah, that's all the time we have for this week. We'll catch you guys soon. Goodbye.